the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Welcome to What a Life with Paul Batura. Paul is a best-selling author, writer, Fox News contributor, and vice president of communications at Focus on the Family. This is a show about the extraordinary value of every life. It's a show about movers, shakers, and culture shapers. And now, here's your host, Paul Batura. Well, thanks, Dr. Bill. Happy New Year. I know we're a few days from the beginning of 2024, but it's still the first weekend of the year. And so hope things are off to a great start for you wherever you might be today. Special thanks to Matt on the other side of the glass and to the Salem Media Network for distributing the program. Now, last week, you might remember uh, we spoke with the great Horst Schultze, who's the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton, among other things. And he mentioned to us that it was he and the Ritz who were responsible for Chick-fil-A's signature response, My Pleasure. And as the story goes, he was meeting with the company's leadership, including then-President Dan Cathy. And in the back of the room that day was Truett Cathy, who's Dan's father and the restaurant's founder. Chick-fil-A was trying to come up at the time with the right phrase, the right response. And Horst mentioned that the Ritz-Carlton used My Pleasure. But he told uh, Dan that such a phrase was just too formal and too fancy for a chicken restaurant. But Truett liked it, and the rest is history. Well, we're going to stick with the Chick-fil-A theme today. Uh, My guest is Mark Hufford. Mark operates two Chick-fil-A restaurants in Arkansas, one in Bentonville, which is the home of Walmart, and the other in the nearby town of Rogers. Now, I think for many of us, Chick-fil-A is just an enormous sense of fascination and uh, appreciation. And uh, since the opening of its first diner in Hapeville, Georgia, known as the Dwarf Grill back in 1946, this fast food juggernaut has consistently outperformed its competitors, and this despite being open just six days a week. And it's regularly touted on numerous surveys as being people's favorite. Now, I didn't want to have Mark on only to discuss how great a company he works for. Uh, We'll certainly talk about that. But Mark's own story is a remarkable one. Now, I knew Mark before he joined Chick-fil-A. In fact, we used to run together, and we'd talk about our hopes and our dreams, and we'd also talk about our goals. Now, a lot of people talk, but few people actually take action. So on today's program, by digging into Mark's life, we're going to cull some lessons and advice that I think you can use in yours especially here at the start of the new year. So, Mark, I know you've just relaunched your Bentonville restaurant after a four-month remodel, but thanks for giving us the time today and joining us on the show. Absolutely, Paul. Well, hey, let's start with the basics. Um, It may be self-explanatory, but we hear the term Chick-fil-A operator. What does that mean? Uh, And uh, explain, uh, if you could, the Chick-fil-A model to us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things I would say is that Chick-fil-A has a unique owner-operator, franchisee contract agreement. It's very different than really anything else out there. And most franchise models are, 
investment models. And so a person may have 40 McDonald's or 100 Waffle Houses or, you know, any number of different kinds of franchises. Chick-fil-A was designed differently by Truett Cathy from the very beginning. And it was really designed for that entrepreneurial-minded or entrepreneurial-spirited person who wouldn't have their own small business, but they weren't you know, independently wealthy or they didn't have a lot of funds. And so he wanted to provide that opportunity of a small business. And so for decades, it was one operator, one Chick-fil-A. And today in 2020, almost 2024, uh, the most someone can have is three, but still most operators have one. And it's their small business. Yeah, and so you can't buy into it like a McDonald's franchise. You have to compete for it. And uh, I've seen it said that it's actually easier to make the uh, professional baseball than it is to get a Chick-fil-A store, given the... so <laughs> That's probably true. How competitive is it in terms of numbers? What do you hear lately in terms of how many people are applying every year and then how many restaurants are they actually opening? Yeah, I mean, the numbers keep going up and. I've heard it's 140 to 160,000. It may be more than that. And what those are, that's that initial expression of interest that you fill out online. And and then, you know, there's following steps and progressions where uh, the numbers get knocked down. But it's probably over 150,000 people a year right now for maybe 150 um, franchise opportunities annually. Wow. Okay. So, I want to talk about how you got it, and and we're certainly going to go there. But first, you know, this is a program. It's called What a Life, Lessons from Legends. Uh, You're a legend in my mind, Mark. You're uh, still a young one, a living legend. But uh, let's level set. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Midwest, Davenport, Iowa, and I was there for my first 14 years, spent 12 years in Florida. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and eventually got out to Colorado Springs, where I was there about six years uh, working at Focus and the Family uh, for Dr. Dobson back then, before I became a Chick-fil-A operator. Yeah, so you're you're growing up in the Midwest. How how would you qualify your relationship with your mom and dad? It was good. I kind of grew up in a a very stable home. Um, Parents loved my sister and I, and it was healthy, and uh, things were, were really good until around my junior year and uh, senior year, uh, my parents divorced. And so that kind of rocked my world and that changed my life quite a bit. And so you, when they divorced, you were in high school? I was, yeah, I was a senior in high school. And you sort of had a traumatic uh, event as a high schooler, not only dealing with the divorce of your parents, but you had a major injury that kind of impacted you athletically. Well, I cracked my kneecap my junior and senior year. Basketball was my love when I was growing up. I love sports like a lot of young guys, you know. And, um, and so the cracked kneecap, uh, kind of ended any, any hopes of, uh, uh, pursuing that in college. You could have been a contender, Mark. I mean, you never know. Well, you, well you... it is funny because I, uh, I cracked my kneecap the first practice of my senior year. I was, um, able to play, you know, the second half of the year, but I was pretty immobilized. So I was a six foot center because of my limited mobility. Uh, down in Dunedin, Florida, we were playing Clearwater and a lot of big schools and a lot of great players and um, ended up actually getting the MVP trophy for my team that year. They voted. And uh, it's one of the things I learned early on, you know, is that, you know, working hard, um, supporting your team, just giving everything you've got, there can be rewards in that, even when things didn't work out quite the way 
you expected him to. Yeah, and what I love about your adversity is sort of nothing is ever lost on us in terms of wasted, I should say. Um, you know, here you are, you're going through that difficult situation. Years later, I mean, decades later, this comes up in your interview process for Chick-fil-A. And uh, I mean, that made an impression on them that you push through, you continue to compete, you didn't give up. Um, someone out there may be listening today who's had a setback and is frustrated with their lot in life. Uh, again, nothing is wasted if you can put it to good use. And you certainly did that um, in your life. So you're in high school, you decide to, uh, well, like, what was the big dream for a 20 year old Mark Hufford? You know, I was a little bit wayward and lost at that time, Paul. Uh, parents are divorced. That kind of rocked my world. Uh, I was attending the junior college, living on my own, uh, going to school, you know, part-time, working full-time, and trying to figure life out. And that was that encompassed, uh, you know, in some ways, close to 10 years of, of kind of wandering and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with life. Yeah. I'm talking with Mark Hufford. He is a Chick-fil-A operator formerly of Colorado Springs, but now living in Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of Walmart. Um, so, Mark, you uh, have several kind of careers before you landed uh, with your legacy role with Chick-fil-A, but you're both a uh, physical therapist, you were a pharmaceutical sales rep. How did those come about? Yeah, I, I got my uh, undergrad eventually uh, in radio and television communications, but I didn't really pursue that. Um, was um, basically kind of going back to doing manual labor and things and other work. But uh, um, when I saw physical therapy, I went back to college and uh, got my master's degree in physical therapy. I was in my late 20s when I, when I got that master's degree. And that was kind of when I was figuring life out finally and uh, did that for several years and then um, worked for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals as a drug rep for a little less than two years, and um, then I went went on to focus. So, yeah, I had a varied career before Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Quite a few things. You know, we have a mutual acquaintance, if not a friend, Bob Beal, who used to be on the a longtime board member at Focus on the Family. He does a lot of corporate consulting now, and he kind of has this wonderful uh, book talking about the decades of your life. And one of the things he talks about in your 20s, and even partly in your 30s, is you're sort of deciding what you don't want to do. And that doesn't mean you're going to land on your career job, but you want to figure out how God's gifted you. And you certainly are a uh, example of that. So you landed focus on the family. You're thanking donors for their generosity and you cross paths with uh, one of the Cathy's. So up until that point had running a restaurant, uh, operating a Chick-fil-A ever crossed your mind? No, never. I mean, I never worked in a restaurant my entire life. It was the last thing on my mind. And, uh, um, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, it did come about, um, visiting, you know, in my role with focus in the family, I got to know, um, some of the Kathy's a little bit and, and some executives at, at Chick-fil-A. And then that's where, you know, the, the seed of that started to come about. Yeah, so we're, I mean, I remember those days, Mark, we're running and we're talking about it. And you said, man, it would be great to, to I, I love what this, the company stands for. I love their standards. I love their philosophy. Um, but man, it is competitive. And you go and you meet with a, you tell the story. You go and meet with Rob Taylor, who's a local guy here. And what did he tell you? 
Yeah, Rob is a legendary Chick-fil-A operator in Colorado Springs. He's still there. And, you know, I, I had a friend, Mark Conklin, Chick-fil-A corporate, and sat in his office on a Friday afternoon. And I was, this is where I was kind of contemplating life and my future. And he was just kind of sharing my heart with him at that time. And he said, Mark, I really said, and I was kind of looking at maybe Chick-fil-A corporate because I'd fallen in love with the company, loved Chick-fil-A. And he said, Mark, you're not a corporate guy. He said, you're a field guy. And uh, I think you probably would be a great fit to be a Chick-fil-A owner operator. And that's where I was like, whoa, um, that, you know, um, I never even thought about that. He said, why don't you go talk to Rob Taylor, uh, visit with him. Maybe you can do something in his business. And so I did sit down with Rob Taylor. He was very gracious. He hired me part-time, very minimal part-time for about nine bucks an hour. Maybe it was eight bucks an hour. I can't remember the time, but it wasn't much because I had this, hey, maybe you want to be a Chick-fil-A operator kind of thing. And uh, a lot of people say that to Chick-fil-A owner operators. And so Rob hired me. I was still focused. I was traveling every other week. But in one night a week, a Saturday when I was in town, I would put on a little Chick-fil-A uniform and I would serve guests and clean floors and do whatever was needed. Yeah, you remember, I remember you talking about how, you know, folks getting off of work were coming by, uh, going through the drive-thru, and they'd see you, you know, hauling trash out to the dumpster and maybe see you in the drive-thru line. And, of course, the first thought is, man, Mark, is everything okay? Like, I mean, did you lose your job or is there, is there something we don't know? And, and this, is, this is an illustration of a guy chasing a dream how difficult was that for you to kind of get over, to kind of humble yourself a little bit and just kind of push through that uh, reputational uh, blow that maybe initially hit? Yeah, that, you know, that was interesting because in, at that time, you know, we're talking around 2006, 2007, uh, Focus was having its first reduction in forces, uh, force um, some layoffs and stuff. And so uh, sometimes someone would see me there and think that I'd been laid off. Um, but you know, I was brought up Paul, in the, you know, with the Midwestern Protestant work ethic. And so, um, hard work has never bothered me. Uh, and it wasn't hard to humble myself to do the tasks. I mean, Rob actually put me on tasks to see how I would respond to them. I can remember cleaning out the dumpster pad area, like with a scrub brush, brush and bleach and things. And somebody from focus seeing me and, you know, having kind of a look of pity on their face and, um, I didn't share with very many people what I was doing. It was, to me, it was a pretty crazy dream. Of, um, I mean, it was very God-sized, and I just knew the numbers, which they were only maybe 25,000 people back then applying. But I still knew I was a long shot. But uh, I really enjoyed every part of that process of understanding Chick-fil-A, the culture and the people, because it fascinated me. At the beginning, it fascinated me, and then I fell in love with it and said, boy, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, so speak to the person right now who, I mean, there's very few people who are listening listening today that are going to be Chick-fil-A operators, but there's all kinds of dreams out there. People who want to write a book, people who want to pursue another job, people who uh, you know maybe can't afford to quit their job that they're doing right now in order to pursue another dream. Uh, here at the start of 2024, if someone's sitting across from you and telling you, Mark, I've got a big dream, but I don't really know where to start. What's your, give them, give me your little spiel that you would tell them. I mean, yeah, the first thing is, you know, you got to start. And then, you know, I followed wise counsel, you know, my friend Mark Conklin said, Hey, this is what you need to do. Go meet with Rob Taylor. And I met with Rob and, and Rob hired me part-time and when Rob told me to do this or do that, 
that's exactly what I did. So, uh, but the other thing was, you know, Rob actually wanted me to come in and then there's, I'm going to relate this to other folks here, but, uh, Rob wanted me to come in full time, like as a general manager in training and financially with where we were working in focus, I was going to take a pretty decent, I wasn't making a lot of focus, but it was enough to support my family. And it would have put me in a pretty difficult position to leave focus and go full time. So I had to figure out something that would work for me to help get my foot in the door, get some experience. And so I went and worked for Rob part time and worked when I could, kept my job at focus. And I did that for a year and a half. So the two big things is number one, you know, I had to take steps forward and do the hard work. And then there was a perser- an, as- an aspect of perseverance because I didn't do it for a month or six months. I did it for a year and a half. And, and so when you have a dream, you got to be willing to do the work. And there'd be nights I was driving home. It's 11 o'clock at night. You know, I worked a full day at Focus. I ran over to Chick-fil-A, worked in the kitchen, had chicken stuff all over me, and I'm driving home and wondering, you know, year in, Lord, you know, is this ever going to happen? Yeah. And... For me, because I'm a Christian, um, I was walking in faith. I felt like God had directed me towards Chick-fil-A. And through the whole process, as I was going for the dream, I was also praying at the same time, Lord, if this isn't what you want from me, then, then uh, you know, put a red flag up there or have them boot me out of the system. I only want to be in the center of your will. But I feel like it's here. It seems crazy. It seems impossible. But I'm going to keep going forward in this, and I'm going to try and do everything I can strategically with, with my work effort. I would meet with Rob. I'd ask Rob out for breakfast once a month because I rarely saw him. He was running three restaurants, and I would just try and glean what I could from him. And and that's what you got to do with your dreams. You just got to you got to stay with it and um, and then figure out your approach that works for you. Yeah, this, I'm talking with Mark Hufford. He is a Chick Fil A operator. A former Colorado Springs resident now in Arkansas, where he operates two Chick-fil-A stores. And Mark, I think what you've just articulated, I mean, that's a, it's not a formula. Nothing in the Christian life is really formulaic. But I mean, in terms of four steps, I've been taking notes as you're talking. I mean, the first, seek wise counsel. Uh, then you got to take action. You need to persevere. And then probably uh, throughout simultaneously bathe everything in prayer and keep in yeah. close contact. That's that's great. Okay, so you're you're going through the interview process, and you know strong competition. You're I, I remember you talking about how much you wanted to stay in Colorado, and you were kind of holding out hope that um, they would give you a store in Colorado, and yet it didn't happen. And so you're disappointed. But then what happened next? Yeah, actually, so in the process now, when I applied, I I was applying for opportunities in different parts of the country because I wanted to give them, you know, the best opportunity to choose me. Colorado and Colorado Springs was first because that's where we were living and, and we, we loved it there. But I, um, I was a finalist for a Chick-fil-A in Brighton, Colorado. That means I was one of two or three people who was down to that. And, and you're right, I didn't get that. And I was kind of devastated, you know, because I didn't know if I'd get another opportunity. Um, it was towards the end of that particular year or in the fall of that year, 2007. And uh, I actually checked with my wife because I'd been doing this, you know, a year and a half and kind of said, Hey, maybe, maybe, you know, it's time to kind of knock this off. And 
And she said, you know, I'm doing well. Uh, our daughter, Peyton, is doing well. She said, why don't you finish what you committed mm-hmm. to? And that was actually to do it for two years uh, to see if I could get to Chick-fil-A. So my wife's encouragement helped me a great deal to con- continue the process. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, a few weeks later, I got a call from somebody at Chick-fil-A. They came out to see me in College Springs and then mentioned the uh, Chick-fil-A that was being built in Bentonville. And so after the big rejection, um, stayed with it. And in a very short term later, everything worked out because I was awarded the uh, brand new Chick-fil-A that was being built in Bentonville. Yeah. I mean, I love you men- that you mentioned Lisa. I mean, the impact of a supportive spouse can't be overstated. I mean, so important to kind of push through and not give up. And, and you, she encouraged you to do that. And then you land in, in Bentonville. I mean, some of us out here are thinking, oh, Bentonville, you know, and it's not that it's a bad place at all, but it's not Colorado and it's not the Rocky Mountains. And yet here you are really uh, in the ground floor of a rejuvenated city that would become one of the hottest places to go and to, to, um, to move to. And, uh, and now you're doing fantastic. Tell the story, if you could, about the process. Later, you didn't know it at the time, but what was the trigger in many ways that the Chick-fil-A executives, when they were talking with you, you were doing something here in Colorado Springs that impressed them? What was that? Yeah, one of the, because I went through about 20, I think I counted 22 interviews in the process of becoming a Chick-fil-A operator. It's very intensive and they're very thorough. Uh, And so one of those, uh, guys that interviewed me became my, uh, what do you call, they used to call business consultant for Chick-fil-A, but came from the corporate office and, and uh, was kind of support the work we're doing out here and everything. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, um, Scott, what was that thing, that one thing that kind of gave you the green light for me or the thumbs up that you thought I could become a good operator, you know? And he said, oh, Mark, he said, that was pretty easy for you. He said, we knew you had the character, the chemistry, the fit, you know, for Chick-fil-A. The question was, because you didn't have a lot of business experience, when it, when it got hard and it was going to be really hard, um, what would you do? Would you just, you know, kind of quit, give up, or would you stay, stay it through and, and uh, see it through and, and persevere to become successful? And so, uh, of course, there was that story of basketball. But at that time, you know, you and I and several guys from Focus were training and training for the Pikes Peak Marathon. And so I had described that, that training regime and what we did to be able to run the Pikes Peak Marathon. And uh, he said, when I saw that, he said, that's when I knew you'd be a good operator. And I was a little surprised. And I, I, I stepped back. I said, well, I don't understand, Scott. What do, you, what do you mean? He said, Mark, when you set your mind to something, when you commit to something, you don't quit. You stay with it. That's all we needed to know for you is would this guy hang in there when it's tough? And, and I got to tell you, you know, that first year as an owner operator and up to the first three years, the first year I think I was a deer in the headlights. I was just trying to tread water and learn everything. And um, looking back, if I'd realized, I feel like how, how, how not great I was at it. I may have thrown in the towel, but. When you're in it, you're just in it fighting and working every day, you know, as you figure it out. And so uh, it, did, it was a process for me. You know, I wasn't rookie of the year in Chick-fil-A that first year. Um, but, you know, 15 and a half years later, you know, I love it more today than I ever have. And I'm just continuing to learn and grow. 
Yeah. I mean, the um, the comparison to running a race and a, and a race like the Pikes Peak Marathon is a good one. I mean, that first year as an operator is probably the equivalent of the um, maybe from uh, Manitou Mark up to maybe Bar Camp. I mean, it's not the most uh, easy climb. And then it gets even worse, <laughs> worse from there. I remember you running that race. If I recall, you were actually in the process of moving at one point, like moving your house, you know, moving from... Yeah. And and here you are, uh, you know, moving on a Saturday, running a marathon on a Sunday, um, but remarkable. And hey, Mark, when we come back, we're going to take a break here. But when we come back, there's a lot uh, I want to talk to you about now that you're chronologically, you're kind of now in Bentonville and you're building your business and you're serving uh, just countless customers every day. But um, you're going to want to hold on for the second half of this interview because we're going to get into some uh, interesting things. I want to talk to you, Mark, about the hidden menu at Chick-fil-A uh, that we often read about and hear about. I want to hear if it's true or not. You can uh, vouch for that or not. Uh, then I also want to talk to you kind of about your leadership style and things that uh, recruiting and getting through the COVID pandemic and all the different ways that you have persevered personally and professionally. Uh, I'm Paul Batura, and we've been talking with Mark Hufford. He's a Chick-fil-A operator based out of Arkansas. And when we come back again, uh, you're not going to want to miss the second half. Paul Batura, What a Life, Lessons from Legends on the Salem Media Network. Welcome back. I'm Paul Batura. You've been listening to What a Life, Lessons from Legends. We're talking with Mark Hufford. Mark is a Chick-fil-A operator uh, based out of Bentonville, Arkansas, as well as Rogers, Arkansas. And we've talked about kind of his journey to becoming a Chick-fil-A operator. Mark, I want to start with this. Um, you know, we, we love Chick-fil-A. I mean, so many of us feel good when we go there. The people are treat, treat us well. The employees treat the customers well. I think it's reciprocal. Let me write, read something that you wrote uh, for Fox Business, actually, a few years ago. You said... Behind every business, there are people, the workers who make it all happen, and the customers who partake in the fruit of the effort. Small business is at the heart and soul of the American economy. Like a rising tide, the success of smaller proprietorships raises the fortunes of everyone else. Now, that sounds good, but it is tough these days to run a business, let alone a fast food business. Talk to us about recruiting because, I mean, a business has good food and good materials and has, may have a good manager, a good operator. But, man, what's your secret to hiring good people? Yeah, it's, I mean, it is tough out there. It's definitely tougher than it's ever been. And I think that goes across you know, all kinds of businesses these days. But, um, uh, you know, you've got to know what you're looking for. And so uh, Chick-fil-A, you know, we look at character, chemistry, and competence. It always starts with people's character first. That's what we want to people's good character, you know, that fit um, uh, who we want to have and be as a culture within our organization. Yeah, I mean, character is huge. I'm, I'm reminded, uh, I know you've admired John Maxwell, someone I have as well. And John once said he was on a book tour and he was um, talking, signing books, and someone came up to him and said, you know, I disagree with one of your leadership principles. And John said, uh, okay, and went on to signing the book. And the guy said, I don't think you heard me. I don't agree with you. And Mark said, hey, look, uh, 
John said, I, I didn't write the book to make you happy. I wrote the book to help you. And I'm thinking in many ways, you kind of manage your people that way, right? You're not trying to make them happy. You're trying to serve them and build them and grow them. And um, how has that changed for you in the course of 15 years? When you're, I would imagine you've improved the recruitment process, but how has the employee changed in those 15 years? Mm. Yeah, you know, the mission that we have at our Matrix Flies is to cultivate exceptional leaders uh, to create remarkable experiences, obviously, for our guests. And so, uh, you know, we look at ourselves, Truth Kathy once said, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're a chicken company, but really we're in the people business. And and so, you know, we are definitely in the people business. So who we hire and the kind of people we bring in is the number one thing. And then, you know, it's about developing them and their leadership capacity. And so I think one of the most important things is organizations or, or people want to know, are you in this to help me uh, or are you just hire me as an employee? And uh, so we have to be better at what we're doing for people than we've ever had to be. If, if, if an organization was compl- complacent, you know, because a lot of people were willing to work for them and just slide, you know, we usually hire better than anybody else in our industry, but it's tough for us now. And so it's forced us to get better and to change and adapt. Yeah. But I mean, how can I make myself a more attractive candidate when interviewing? If I'm a young person, I'm 17, 16, 17, 18, I don't have a ton of experience. But how do I make myself stand out? Yeah, I mean, some of them are their basic skills. You know, you're looking the person in the eye, you're connecting, creating eye contact, you're, you're smiling. So, you know, the ability to, to look at that person who's interviewing you and they're seeing you dealing with their, their guests, their clients, their customers. And so you want to present as someone that they want to put out in front of, of the customer. And, uh, you know, anytime you're going to interview, you know, teenager. Uh, working at a restaurant or grocery store. Figure out and learn some information about the company. Have some good questions to ask. I mean, that's pretty rare uh, at our level for people to have a whole lot of, hey, I want a job or I want to be a Chick-fil-A. Well, I know, yeah, but uh, you should have some interest and um, learn something about the company. Yeah, I mean, that, we've talked about that a lot uh, over the years, my wife and I, especially in terms of there seems to be an epidemic uh, out there, you know, we talk about the COVID epidemic, but there's been an epidemic in terms of a lack of curiosity. People seem very much um, in their own little worlds. They don't really inquire a lot about people, um, don't seem overly interested in people. I mean, there are some people who are just don't know what to ask, I suppose, but that is good counsel to come into an interview with some questions, whether it's, um, you know, the environment that they're going to be stepping into, the challenges. Uh, associated and, and along those lines, what would, what would you say is the most difficult thing about running a restaurant in 2024 America? I, well, I do think it's still about talent. Uh, certainly, costs are, are challenging. There's still some supply chain issues out there, but but the biggest thing is is talent, you know. And so uh, you can complain about it or whine about it, but the fact of the matter is, you have to have great people in any business, and so you got to continue to adapt and grow. And get better. And the the core of that for me is, um, you know, hiring people. But then when they come in, your culture is everything. So we can talk about things in the interview or when I teach my vision and values class about who we are and what we're about. But then we've got to be about those things every day, how we treat them, you know, how we treat the guests and the customers. And we just we want to build a great culture. 
Yeah, I mean Chick Fil A's. Yeah, yeah Chick Fil A's vision has. Yeah, no, sorry to interrupt you there, Mark. Chick Fil A's vision has been quote to be the world's most caring company. I mean, how does a company that sells chicken sandwiches and not waffle fries and deals with people pretty quickly in and out? I mean, the goal is to be as fast and as efficient in the drive-through line. How can they? How does the company express their caring attitude? It, in fact, yeah, it's a great mission. I mean, for a for-profit, you know, multi-billion-dollar company to want to be the world's most caring company, and it's not just uh, sort of a marketing term. I mean, for Chick-fil-A, they're really serious about that. And the actual, the full statement is to be the world's most caring company by winning hearts every day, by winning hearts every day. And when I think about that, it is all about care, and so it's care and in um, the products that we make, the food that we make, and uh, how we treat our guests, how we are in the community, all those kind of things. And um, they're, uh, they're critically important. Tell me, do you have people who come by every day? Some, maybe an older person who's kind of, your your restaurant is part of their daily routine? Yeah, we got several that seem to come, you know, five, six, I mean, close to five, six days a week. Uh, they come all the time. And so one of the things I, I share when I do my vision and values meeting, which actually I have one tonight with, with new team members that are, that are in our organization, is, you know, it's not just a chicken sandwich. Nobody's coming to Chick-fil-A five or six days a week or even two or three or four days a week just for the chicken sandwich. It's great, but it's not that great. They're coming for the experience. They're coming to be cared for. And, you know, we live in a world that's divisive, it's, I don't, it seems like the stress level just is never ending right now, ever since COVID. And people are on edge. And they're willing to come in, sometimes wait in long lines for drive through or a packed restaurant, to come to Chick-fil-A. And so when, when you think about the curiosity of Chick-fil-A, I mean, we're a fast food restaurant. Why are they doing that? And I would say it's absolutely about our team members that are there, you know, six days a week, um, serving with care and sincerity. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a heart, and it, it's clearly evident. I mean, when in terms of how you've been able to build build the business and build the clientele, and you mentioned we've mentioned COVID now several times in our conversation. I mean, a, obviously, a, just a catastrophic hit to the uh, world and and to individual small business owners, and you guys weathered it okay. I mean, you managed to make adjustments and all of that, and maybe now you've rebounded. Um, but you yourself kind of dealt with a little bit of an internal staff rebellion. Um, I think you've talked publicly about this in terms of what you learned about your leadership style, about your management style. Uh, unpack that for us a little bit, if you could tell. I mean, this is uh, no one is perfect, and I think you recognize that uh, throughout your 15-year career, but what happened? Yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> For sure. And so, I mean, of course, it's been a 15-year learning curve being a leader and being a chief operator. But, uh, you know, COVID was difficult for everybody. And, and I think, um, for me, interestingly enough, it was not 2020 or 2021. It was actually 2022 um, that was my toughest year. And I think it was the grind. You know, it was just um, the pressure and the stress that kind of continued on. And it seemed like COVID just wouldn't the scripts out of us, you know, in a lot of ways. And um, midway through the year in 2022, and I didn't know it, you know, when I was going through it, but 
I, I had kind of, I was probably depressed and had some anxiety, some stress, you know, this thing had kind of worn me out. And so I wasn't acting the way that I want to act as a leader. I wasn't treating people the way I should be treating them. And, you know, sometimes you don't really realize it. And I had this crucible moment where I was having my top leaders meet, we meet weekly and we had a situation going on. And so I had this, decided that if they answered this a certain way on this particular issue uh, and in sort of righteous frustration or anger, I would walk out of the meeting, you know, on them. And, and things went that way. And I did that. I went home to my wife, Lisa, and I shared that with her. And um, she was very supportive of me. And then the next day, it kind of gnawed on me. And by Friday morning, you know, I was like, wow, this isn't good. And so I was in prayer with the Lord. I was on my knees, actually, which I rarely do, but I was on my knees in prayer. And um, the Lord really pierced my heart. Uh, and, you know, in essence, what I felt like I put in my heart was, you know, Mark, things haven't worked out so well for you. You've had these challenges and things haven't been great. And uh, you're like a spoiled child right now. And you're whining and complaining. And uh, it really, it just broke my heart. You know, I realized how I'd been acting. And very quickly in, in the process of sort of trying through things, I realized I'd really blown it with my leaders and I had treated them very poorly. I was embarrassed, you know, but uh, I did go to them. But one of them, before I could get to them all, she put in her, her two-week notice with me because of my behavior um, at that meeting. And I was like, wow, these are the consequences, the ramifications, mm. you know, when you don't live out your values the right way. And so um, I ended up sharing that whole thing with her of what God brought me through and asked her to give me a second chance. And she came back and my leadership stayed. And, you know, uh, by the end of the year, I was transformed, you know, um, not the same leader because I went through that, that challenge. And so, you know, you don't want to go through that. But the, the big thing is when you're going through something like that, God, it's an opportunity for God to do something in your heart. And uh, I walk, you know, went through that. I'm not the same guy I was. I, yeah, I appreciate you being vulnerable like that, Mark, because, uh, you know, that everyone has had these crucible moments, no matter what line of work you're in. Um, you talk about how it's changed you. I mean, what, how would you describe that change uh, in practical ways as a leader today? Um, what do you do differently yeah. today that you may not have done two or two years ago or so? <laughs> well, much more patient now. Um, now I'm a, I'm a very dominant driver, you know, D on the disc, uh, you know, type A personality and very competitive, which is great being an entrepreneur, but you can leave people behind or they can become your carnage. And so that, that's kind of the worst version of me, which some of that occurred, you know, in 2022, but, um, uh, even though I've been growing the whole time, there's definitely been a change with just really being patient with people and remembering, you know, now that I'm, I turned 58 a couple of days ago, but uh, I'm dealing with a lot of young people and there are a whole bunch of things that um, they just don't, they don't know that they don't know that are very obvious to me. Or it's just because I've been around a lot longer, you know? And so I'm a lot more patient. I really am focusing on teaching and coaching and, uh, and, and actually that's where my heart is now. I mean, I still love doing great numbers and sales and, you know, all those kind of things. But that's not what really gives me joy and passion anymore. It's the relationships with the people that I work with and watching them develop their leadership potential. I mean, that's, that's what I live for. Yeah. And I really, I love it. And, 
And so, again, you know, kind of having that 2022 situation, it just uh, gave me more resolve to do that better than I ever have. Yeah. The voice you hear is Mark Hufford. He's a Chick-fil-A operator, uh, two-time over in Bentonville and Rogers, Arkansas. And Mark, I appreciate you saying this on a variety for a variety of reasons. First, I think it's important for us to hear this from you because, you know, we had Rick Lytle on the podcast a couple of month, uh, weeks ago, and Rick uh, works uh, friends with Dan Cathy, and he talked about some of the criticism that's come Chick-fil-A's way for this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, he said sometimes people can turn so quickly on, on uh, organizations for, you know, often they have half the story and they draw conclusions and they give them a hard time over things. It's important, I think, to remember when you're dealing even with your local uh, restaurants in town, you know, these are run by human beings who are dealing with stress. I mean, you're uh, responsible for the livelihood of many people. And that's a lot of pressure to carry a payroll, to carry um, expectations. And so when I go through the drive through and I may wind up opening my bag uh, as I turn the corner and recognize that they forgot the Chick-fil-A sauce, like, it's not the end of the world, right? I mean, don't you, give some grace, show some, like, everybody's fighting a battle and here you are, you know, talking about that battle, and I appreciate that. So thank you for, thanks for being vulnerable with us. Absolutely. Hey, so let's, uh, I thought this would be fun. The, a typical day at Chick-fil-A, you know, you guys serve breakfast, you serve lunch, you serve dinner. What's the most popular time? Uh, when do you do your most business? Yeah, it does vary a little bit by restaurant, you know, and, and context of where they're located. But uh, we, uh, we do lunches a little bigger than dinners. Lunches are our, definitely our biggest uh, peak hour sales. Okay, so lunch is more popular than dinner. Uh, and then I asked our boys, I told them I'd be talking with you. I said, what's something you always wanted to know about Chick-fil-A? One of the things our youngest asked was, do you go through more ketchup or through more Chick-fil-A sauce? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Uh, definitely, uh, I'm pretty sure that's more Chick-fil-A sauce. Okay. I mean, we're all glad that you can get it now at the supermarket because it's become like uh, the condiment alongside the mustard and the ketchup in the fridge. Uh, but I, I yeah. love the I love the fact that all the proceeds from that sales and supermarkets goes to help uh, camps, right? Camps for kids. Yeah, camp camp windshake. Um, Catholic family. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, we talked about at the first part of the show. I kind of teased the idea of a of a secret menu. This has been talked about a lot online. Um, does it exist? Um, yeah, it does exist, Paul. It is, it's true. There's <laughs> <laughs> a secret menu at Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, the secret menu can be basically, you can ask for a customized sandwich, right? Like you could have barbecue sauce, put on a, a chicken sandwich and make it a ch- barbecue chicken sandwich. I mean, or you can do double Chick-fil-A sandwiches, things like that, right? Yeah, you can, yeah, there, there are adjustments you can make. And, of course, uh, you can get on TikTok and YouTube and different places, and there's all kinds of stuff um, to find out about the secret menu. Someone told, Someone also told me, that, and my son has done this, uh, I think he saw this on a YouTube video, that if you want to guarantee the freshest sandwich, uh, ask for extra pickles, because then they have to go back and make but, <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, that you guys go through so many chicken sandwiches, I can't imagine... That food sits too long under the hot lights. No, I mean, most things are going out fast, especially during lunch or, you know, pick breakfast, lunch or dinner. 
the, the stuff is flying out so fast, it, you know, you're not going to get many seconds difference on uh, that extra pickle sandwich versus the regular one. Yeah. Okay. And another question. Fact, the bo- sometimes those specials take a little longer, you know, and so. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, you, sometimes when you're put into that, uh, I feel like you're set into the purgatory parking spot when your order <laughs> order's not ready because they don't want you to hold up the whole line, right? That's right. That's right. And then the last question from the boys is, where do all the chickens come from at Chick-fil-A? Yeah, they come from all over the country. And, you know, we work with, uh, I think it's maybe 11 suppliers right now because we do have so so much uh, sales volume. Uh, So 11 chicken suppliers, I think, is the latest count that I've heard. We have a lot of them. Wow, all over. Okay. Now, Mark, you obviously are not a one-man band here. You've got a leadership team. You operate the two stores, which what percentage of Chick-fil-A operators have more than one store? I'm not sure what the exact numbers are. Um, you know, so far as having two to three freestanding Chick-fil-A's versus one, it's still a pretty low number. Pretty low. Uh, percentage-wise. Yeah, you're most, kind of... Most operators still single-store operators. And do you equally split your time between the two stores, or how does that work? I do. I mean, I'm at both stores, although right now I'm at the Bentonville store much more because we just reopened. We were closed for a four-month remodel. And so, obviously, I'm spending a lot more time over there these first few weeks uh, than at my Chick-fil-A and Rogers. But, but I try and split the time between both stores. Do you miss going to a restaurant as a uh, Joe citizen and not critique? I mean, are you able to go to a restaurant, not Chick-fil-A, but other restaurants, and not critique how it's all going down? I mean, you live this and breathe this almost every day of your life. Can you, uh, can you detach from it when you take Lisa and Peyton and have dinner with friends somewhere else? Uh, no, <laughs> I can't detach. Um, you know, or anything in, in really in customer service, because, you know, that's what we're, we're really about is that next level of customer service, uh, getting second mile service. And so, but the other thing on that, since COVID and the challenges, I understand better when, you know, a restaurant, it can be, gosh, a loose crisp or something. I mean, it can be a nice restaurant. And you're looking around, you're wondering what's going on. You realize, boy, they don't have enough staff, mm. you know? And so I have a lot more compassion than I would have if I wasn't doing what I do. Does it surprise you, I mean, living in the Chick-fil-A uh, ecosphere, I guess, for 15 years, does it surprise you that more companies don't try and mimic or model the Chick-fil-A uh, ways? I mean, it just seems kind of obvious in terms of how successful they are. I, I suppose easier said than done. But does it surprise you? Uh, I, mean, I think there are there are restaurants that are coming up that are trying to um, emulate or do similar things that Chick Fil A is doing. Not the old standard there, well, fast food restaurants. There, you know, quite honestly, they're just uh, they're doing the same things they've always done, and and people are going to them less and less, you know. But uh, uh, but other brands are coming up. I mean, Chick Fil A is well aware that. Uh, hubris or complacency are the two things that we we have to guard against yeah and uh, we got to continue to get better at what we're doing um and doing it the way you know trip kathy and dan kathy and now andrew kathy uh third generation ceo for family-owned business um have, have modeled and asked us to do it you know if we correlate uh running a chick-fil-a to running a marathon you know you can't run non-stop in races, you take breaks, you take water stops, you take fuel. How are you 
uh, maintaining your energy and your health in wake of, in light of, you know, two stores and a busy life and career? Yeah, balance is a big thing. Uh, there's, you know, short seasons for things where you run the sprint, but you obviously you can't sprint a marathon. And so for me, I mean, certainly my time with the Lord, uh, quiet time, prayer, that's, that's critical. That's the foundation. You know, that's where my strength comes from. And, um, the Lord is good there. And then physical exercise. I try and exercise most days doing something. Um, I want to be, uh, I want to be doing as well as I possibly can. And, you know, there's a physical toll with work and it doesn't get any easier when you get older. So that's important. And then, you know, obviously there's time with my family and extracurricular activities, you know, like I love to read and, and, uh, do other things. And so I think, uh, balance is just big. I mean, Chick-fil-A is a big part of my part of my life, but it's not my life. I've got a mm. I've got a life, and Chick-fil-A is part of it. And I think that's one of the most important things. Well, that is that a night. yeah, that's a healthy yeah. healthy perspective. I've been in your library uh, there in Bentonville, your your personal library, and it's a wonderful uh, illustration of a guy with varied interests. Uh, I've seen your kneeler. You, you know, you talk about kneeling uh, and praying, yeah. and I mean, you walk. Uh, walk the talk. You don't just talk about it. You actually do it. And um, I know you are well read and, and uh, you know, the idea of seeking wise counsel is a fantastic takeaway. I think from today's conversation, um, Mark, thank you for joining us today. And, and I think you've given us a lot to think about heading into the new year. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You know, I love you as a friend and uh, I do miss those days running and training for the Pike Street Marathons. Well, I miss you as well. I'm, I, not, I'm not the only one left running the Pikes Peak Marathon, but of our group, I'm the only sucker who's continuing to do it. And I miss, I miss you guys more than I can tell. So blessings on your, on your day, on your week, on your year of 2024. And uh, uh, love you, brother. Love you too. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to What a Life with Paul Batura. Let him know what you're thinking. Follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Batura. Or you can reach out to him on email at paul at paulbatura.com. Most importantly, live a life that emulates the admonition of the Apostle Paul, whose teachings are the inspiration for this show. Writing to believers at Philippi, Paul urged them, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We'll see you next time on What a Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.